great to see each of you. And uh, man, if you are some of the lucky few that is in overflow, just want to say welcome to you as well. We're so glad uh, that you're here with us to worship with us on Easter Sunday morning. And if you're joining us online, man, thank you so much for joining us. And we're sorry you can't be here with us in person, but we're glad you're celebrating Easter with each one of us today, no matter where you are. And uh, man, are you excited? It is nice and beautiful on Easter Sunday morning. Amen. Isn't that a blessing? Uh, We can't always say that, but we can today. And uh, man, I'm excited to be with each of you on Easter Sunday to be opening up God's word with you. If you're not from our church or you're visiting, uh, my name is Jim. I'm the campus pastor here at Woodside Lake Orion. And uh, it's a great privilege to be able to open up God's word. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 uh, this morning as we set our affections and our heart on the fact that Christ rose victoriously from the grave. Amen? If you're here, uh, man, I just want to give you a heads up. It's free. I'm going to give away the whole message. Christ rose victoriously, and we're here to celebrate it. And, uh, man, if you got tricked into coming here to an Easter egg hunt or an egg drop next door or something, by God, I'm glad that you're here. And um, I'm glad that you get to experience and hear the goodness of the true meaning of Easter um, before we open up, as you're, you're turning to 1 Corinthians 15 today, um, I just want to ask you a question, and I know you already know the right answer to the question if you are a follower of Jesus, but just think about it for a moment. And the question is this, is how important is the resurrection? You don't have to answer that, just think about that. How important is the resurrection of Jesus Christ to Christianity? Can you be a Christian and doubt or deny the resurrection of Jesus? I say a lot of people wrestle with doubts, but the denial is a separate thing. And then maybe ask a little bit further is, like, what is the resurrection to you and how important is the resurrection to you personally and how does it affect your everyday life? Because, man, we come into this room every, sun, every, every Sunday, really, but every Easter we come in, and we're all excited that Christ rose victoriously from the grave, which is amazing and good, and I'm glad you're here. But then I, I just go a little bit further, like, how is it impacting all of you? How is it impacting your everyday life? Well, of the importance of the resurrection, um, a, a pastor, a very well-known pastor by the name of Tim Keller, was asked the same question of the importance of the resurrection, and this is what he said. I think it's of utmost importance. He says, the Christian church is pretty much inexplicable if we don't believe in a physical bodily resurrection. It's hard to account for thousands of Jews virtually overnight worshiping a human being as divine when everything about their religion and culture conditioned them to believe that it was not only impossible, but deeply heretical. The best explanation for the change was that many hundreds of them had actually physically seen with their own eyes, seen Jesus with their own eyes. In general, if you don't accept the resurrection or other fundamental beliefs as defined by the Apostles' Creed, I'd say you're on the outside of the boundary of Christianity. 
And I can't agree with Tim Keller more the fact that this is central to all that we know and believe within Christianity, within being a follower of Jesus. Man, praise God, everyone in this room and those of you watching online and those of you in overflow, if you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus, you're not following a dead guy named Jesus, you're following a guy that's alive and well, ruling and reigning today. That's who he is and that's what we believe in and it's central, but it's also, uh, it's of great importance, but it actually impacts everything we do. And that's what I want you to leave here with today is that Jesus' victory, specifically his victory in the resurrection, impacts everything. It impacts everything. And what I want to look at today is how does that happen and what does that look like for us as people who call themselves Jesus followers. So when you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the heart of the apostle earlier on, we're going to start in verse 20, but earlier on, the apostle is writing to the church of Corinth and reminding them of what he shared with them, of first importance, he says, in verses 3 and 4, namely that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. But there's people within Corinth that are denying the resurrection or just questioning it, wondering if there's no resurrection from the dead. Maybe it's a lie or not. And and so now Jesus, uh, excuse me, the Apostle Paul, through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, writing to the church of Corinth, is actually writing about some of the positive outcomes of the resurrection and what it means for followers of Jesus. And that's exactly what I want to show you today, is what it means not only for the church of Corinth, but what it means for us as followers of Jesus today. And how the resurrection as followers of Jesus, impacts everything. Everything. So look with me in verse 20, and I want to show you just a few things this morning. Verse 20, we'll start there. Um, He, after writing about, hey, the first importance, people that are questioning the resurrection, he wants to start off with an emphatic, known fact that this is true. But in fact, in verse 20, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by uh, a man came death, by a man has come also resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. And man, I want to tell you, how does it impact everything we do? The first thing is that the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus' victory means that all believers will be, not maybe, not hopefully, will be made alive. We'll all be made alive if we're in Christ. And the Apostle Paul starts off emphatically at the very beginning. He just wants to state a fact that Christ's resurrection is true. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And I just want to tell you today, no matter if you're online, in the overflow, or in this room, that is an emphatic truth today that Christ is raised from the grave. Right? You can't explain, like Tim Keller said, you can't explain why literally hundreds of Jews would have turned face of something that would have been heretical and they would have had to give up their lives for and started worshiping a random dude. The only explanation is that Christ physically rose and he showed himself to hundreds of individuals. Not only that, the disciples who all abandoned him, somehow all of them, even the new one, All died for the cause of Christ. Why? Because they buried it in a field and hid it? No, because they actually physically saw Christ resurrected. And he says, man, this is a historic fact. It happened. He rose from the grave. And then he says this this kind of like 
he gives us a metaphor and he says that he is, Jesus is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And what he means by that, it's so wrapped up in the text, it's beautiful, right? He's referencing the feast of first fruits or the, first, uh, the feast of harvest where the people of Israel would have brought the, the first portion of their harvest. They'd have harvested a portion of the field and they would have brought it in as an offering. And what's beautiful is they bring in this offering as an offering of thanksgiving to God and then they go and harvest the rest of the field. You might be like, well, what does that matter? Well, the first fruits were an expectation of a remembrance of what the rest of the harvest was actually gonna be. And so what Paul is saying the point is, is that Jesus rose victoriously from the grave. He is now the first fruits of the resurrection. And there is an expectation of a great harvest of the rest of us who have fallen asleep, who one day will rise victoriously from the grave. That Jesus is just the first fruits of it. And then one day the rest of us, the remainder, will rise. But he says, if we're in Christ, right? In verses 21 and 22, he says, for as by Man came death, by a man has come also resurrection of the dead. For in Adam all die, also in Christ shall all be made alive, right? And so he uses this kind of typological representation of Adam. Man, if you're new to church, you haven't been around church long, I'm sure you know the story of the garden of Adam and Eve, right? God didn't create things the way they are now. He created them perfect. And now we live in this fractured humanity because Adam and Eve... and Man, we're no better. We would have done the same thing. Believe the lie of Satan that something else was better than God. And they fell, bringing sin into the world. And now there's this fractured relationship between us and God. And now we are by nature children of sin or wrath, as we're going to read in a moment. And so now we're like broken individuals. I'll just tell you, there's a lot of little babies in here. Man, I'll just tell you, all your little babies you dropped off down there, we have a lot of them at our campus. There'll be like probably 300 kids here today. All of them are wretched sinners. <laughs> and the people watching them in kids' ministry right now, sharing the love of Jesus with them, knows they're wretched sinners, right? <laughs> Man, they weren't, they weren't, they didn't become sinners the first time they sinned. They sinned because they were sinners. It's something that we're actually born into, and now we're represented, he says, by one man, Adam. But man, praise be to God that we don't have to be represented by Adam. We can be represented by Christ. So by one man, Adam, sin entered the world, but life enters the world through the resurrection of Jesus. And so now we, we're either, at the end of the day, we're either represented by Adam and in death or we're represented by Jesus and raised to glorious life. That's what he's saying. And Jesus is just the beautiful in the resurrection, the first fruits of that. Man, one of my... One of my favorite passages in scripture is Ephesians chapter 2, where it gives us a great picture of this fact that we were dead in our sins, but Christ made us alive. I just want to read it quickly. Paul writing to the church of Ephesus says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. I don't know about you, but when you're dead, you're dead, you're dead. There's no nuanced Greek word here that means something kind of dead. You were dead, right? In which you walked following the course of this world, following the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience among whom we all, every one of us here, everyone in the church of Ephesus once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature, right? Like I said before, nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But one of the greatest words in all of the Bible is the word but. 
but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, we didn't want nothing to do with God. He made us alive together with Christ. Amen? By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why? So that in the coming ages, what we look forward to, the hope that we have, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And then our famous passage, we always create, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of your own works or doing or anything you did, but it's a gift of God. But I'm here to tell you that the resurrection affects everything, mostly our predominantly our eternity in the fact that, man, we as followers of Jesus, it means that we can be made alive together with Christ. You're either today, I'll just be honest with you, friend, whether you're watching online or in overflow or in this room, you are either today, your representative is either Adam and you are dead in your trespasses and sins. And the only thing I can do, the most loving thing I can tell is that's the case or you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus and you are now a representation of Christ and the resurrection that he has won for us, the first fruits that all we can experience. Now what, the, the amazing thing, as I said, Jesus' victory becomes our victory, but here's the, here's, the, here's, the, here's the catch, only if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus. Man, friend, I don't know who you are today. I don't know all of you. There's a lot of people here. There's a lot of people watching online. I don't know you. And maybe even if I do know you, it doesn't matter. Have you ever placed your faith and trust in Jesus? Not like, man, if I asked everybody here today, you're here because you believe that Christ rose from the grave. That's awesome. But do you truly believe it? Not just in a mental ascent, but do you believe it? Have you pushed all in that you fully trust and what he's done for you is enough and somehow what he did on the cross counts for you? I'll explain it this way. Um, when I was in Orlando for, um, for spring break, I was listening to a podcast and I heard the story of this guy by the name of Charles Blondin. You ever heard of him? Probably not. In 1859, he's the guy that strung a rope across Niagara Falls and tightrope walk from one side from the U.S. to Canada. Pretty amazing. This is before all the harnesses and all that kind of stuff. And he walked back and forth numerous times, frontwards and backwards, carrying stuff, carrying a human being. Uh, someone, I read one article, it even said that he carried a stove cooking an omelet. <laughs> and he had a wheelbarrow. And he said, man, to the crowds, everyone came out to watch him. Do you think I could get across with the wheelbarrow? And everybody's like, yeah, we've seen you do all of this different stuff. We've seen you go with, with, a, with an omelet. We've seen you with a per Like, yes, of course you can go across with a wheelbarrow. So he does it forward and backwards. And then he says, do I have a volunteer of someone who wants to get into the wheelbarrow? You can imagine that there wasn't one person that said, yeah, I'll sign up for that. Now, the reason I share that with you is because it's really easy to sit on the edge of the cliff and say, yes, I believe that you can do this. Yes, I believe you rose from the grave. It's a whole nother animal to get into the wheelbarrow and allow that individual to carry you across the great divide that you could never carry yourself across and putting all of your faith and your trust, not just mental assent that he can do it, but faith and trust that he will carry you through it. Is a totally different animal. 
So I'm not asking you, do you mentally believe that Christ rose from the grave? I'm asking you, have you pushed all in, climbed into the wheelbarrow, and allowed the resurrection of Jesus to do its full work in redeeming your soul, rescuing you and redeeming you, and carrying you across a divide that you will never be able to get across on your own? And today, no matter how long you've been coming to this church or another church and another state or some other denomination or how much money you've given to the church or how much you've served the homeless or no matter how much, man, you, you, you've, you've done good in the world, no matter any of that, can I just tell you, today can be the day of salvation for you where you push all in, climb into the wheelbarrow and allow the Lord to carry you across the great divide. And it's pretty easy. You respond to the Lord in faith, push all in and say, I don't just trust that you did it, I trust you with my eternity and I place my faith and trust like I'm going to sit down in this chair believing that you are who you say you are and it counts for me somehow. Man, Jesus' victory impacts everything, even our eternity. But not just that all believers are made alive, but man, the, the great hope of the gospel and Christ rising from the dead is that all of God's enemies are defeated. Man, this is, this is our hope. We don't have to deal with Satan any longer. And one day he will be put to death, right? Look with me in verse 23. But each in his own order, talking about resurrections, we'll come back to that. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, and then it is coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, now listen to this, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And that's good news. And because Jesus rose victoriously from the grave, he is destroying death and every spiritual enemy of God. It said that the resurrections came in two stages. All it's saying is that, man, the first fruits, Christ rose from the grave. We look back today celebrating the fact that Christ rose victoriously from the grave and we worship God because of it, because it gives us hope, great hope. And it gives us a future. And then we look forward to the rest of the harvest. That's what he's saying. They're in order. The first fruits, Christ. And then one day all of us will rise with Christ when the second coming of Christ comes. But in the meantime, man, he says he's in the process of delivering the kingdom of God to the Father. Isn't that amazing? That God is working to deliver the kingdom of God. Now, now literally, it's, it's, he's destroying, he says, Destroying every rule and every authority and every power that comes against the name of God. That's pretty amazing. That that's a process that started at the resurrection and is continuing today. And you look at the, the Greek word and what it means to destroy here. It says to come to an end or be no longer in existence. And this is the power and the amazing gift of the resurrection. That when Christ rose victoriously, there was beginning the first fruits of what was going to happen with the kingdom of God and putting to death Satan and sin and death and all that comes with it. That's what we're celebrating today. We're not just celebrating that, man, great, I can go to heaven now. But know that Christ is destroying his enemies. And the beginning of that was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All of the enemies of God are being brought to nothing, the greatest of which is the last enemy in verse 26 to be destroyed is death. Man, I don't know if many times we as followers of Jesus really grasp what this means. 
God is literally starting at the resurrection now, bringing the kingdom of God under his dominion, and he's got his foot on Satan's throat, and it's only a matter of time until he's cast into the lake of fire. Amen? There's only so much longer that we have to deal with his stuff. There's only so much longer we have to deal with sin and death and, and destruction and pain and mourning and sickness and all the stuff that came with sin entering the world. Only so much longer. I love the story in, in John chapter 11 of this famous friend of Jesus named Lazarus. And the story of Lazarus is pretty profound because I don't know about you, but sometimes we can really hang our hats on the fact that Christ was God, which he is, but he's also human, fully human, fully God. And he had like, he was overwhelmed at times and he was hungry and he, he walked through the things that we walked in life and he had a good friend, number of them. One of them was Lazarus, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And the story in John 11 is really funny, but it's also really good. And it shows us a picture of what this looks like for us. So it says that Jesus was on a, a trip with his disciples and in Bethany, his good friend Lazarus was sick. And so they sent word to Jesus and said, hey, we know that you can heal Lazarus. You've made water into wine. You've healed the sick. You've made people the lame walk again, blind to see. Like, you got to come help my friend, your friend Lazarus. He's really sick. And so it says in verse six, so when he heard, Jesus wor heard the news that Lazarus was sick, he stayed two more days. That's funny. Man, if I had the power to heal somebody, I wouldn't be waiting a couple more days. He waited a couple more days. And then before he knew it, a couple days in, he tells the disciples, man, we need to go. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. We're going to wake him. And they're like, oh, cool. He's taking a nap. And he's like, no, you're not get it. He's dead. But he, he says something amazing in verse 15. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. That's all part of the plan. Jesus allowed his good friend to die. So that his good buddies, the disciples, would actually see and believe in him. And, and this is just free for you today. I don't know who you are, what you're going through. The things that you're going through in life, the loss of a loved one, the, 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 the declaration from a doctor of cancer, or the struggle you're going through emotionally or mentally today. Can I just tell you today, according to scripture, it might not just be about you today, friend. It might be for those who are looking on, God's allowing you to walk through hard things for their faith to be grown. God allowed Lazarus to die twice just for the faith of the disciples. And he gets there, and he's a ways off. And Martha runs to Jesus, and in verse 21, she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And she's, but even now I know whatever you ask, the Lord will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. It sounds like Martha believes like we do. I mean, she's looking forward to a resurrection one day in verse 24. Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day, man. I know he's dead, but one day we'll see him again. He'll rise with all of us. And Jesus in verse 25 says, I am the resurrection and the life. Listen to this. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. I mean, this is what we're getting at, is that Christ in his resurrection began to initiate a process with which death is now irrelevant. Death is under his feet. It's been defeated. And Jesus answers or asks a question to Martha, looking back at her, I have the same question for you. He ends all of that and he says, I'm the resurrection life. I mean, though you'll die, you'll never die. Do you believe this? 
That's my question for you today. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? Because according to the resurrection, according to scripture, death has been dealt a major blow and one day it will deal a final blow at the second coming of Christ and we will all rise victoriously and what God says at the end will be like is an unbelievable vision that we look forward to, right? You read in Revelation chapter 21, it says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Listen to this, death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away, that God is literally bringing all things into subjection. He's bringing all things back to an Eden state that one day we are going to live like Adam and Eve and walk in the cool of the day where there's no more mourning, no more crying, no more weeping, no more sickness, and no more death. And it all started at the resurrection and God is working all things out and he has dealt a major blow to Satan and all the things of sin and death and hell. And man, the resurrection for us is so vitally important because man, I want to encourage you today if you're watching online or you're here, maybe you can't be here today because you're so sick that you can't be in the presence of many people. Maybe you're here today and you've experienced the loss of a loved one. Maybe you're here today and you're so overwhelmed by depression and anxiety. It just took a lot for you to even walk in the doors today. Man, can I tell you, because of the resurrection of Jesus, he has squashed the power of Satan. He's squashed the power of death. And there's a day that we look forward to and we long for that one day all of our tears will be wiped away. There'll be no more mourning, no more depression, no more anxiety, no more death, no more, no more overwhelming desires to do the wrong things because all things will be right. Man, it doesn't just impact here and now, it impacts eternity and it impacts how we live today. Man, you as a follower of Jesus, if you're here today and you know Jesus as your savior, you should be walking through life with a holy swagger that you serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords who overcame sin, death, and hell, and there is now no nothing that can come against you in the name of Jesus. And you can walk in freedom knowing that you serve the God of the universe. But lastly, in verse 27 and 28, we see, man, what, what, is, what does it do for us? What does the cross do for us? It, it affects everything. The last thing is that Jesus' victory means that all things will be reconciled to God forever. There's something that started at the resurrection and is happening now and will ultimately be completed at the second coming of Christ, that all things are being reconciled to God forever. Look what it says in verse 27. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. Man, we could just stop right there. But when it says all things are put in subjection... It is plain that he is expected who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, Jesus, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, God the Father, that God may be all in all. See, this is, this is a future state that we're looking forward to that happened and started at the resurrection where God is bringing all things in subjection under him. In reality, what's happening here is what Jesus taught us to pray in the Sermon on the Mount. What did he say? He says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. One day that will be perfectly realized. You know that? 
it will be perfectly realized as Christ, if you get the picture, is literally coming home to heaven, bringing the kingdom of God to God the Father, bringing everything in subjection under God and reconciling all things back to God for eternity. And this is what we look forward to. We're not just here to sing about the fact that Christ rose from the grave for us. We're here to sing and praise God that God is reconciling the world back to himself. And Romans says the heavens and the earth, they, they groan to be reconciled back to God, to be put back in perfect state. Man, God is doing a great work, and it started at the resurrection, what we're celebrating today on Easter, and he's still working those things out until one day he comes back and there's a great harvest of resurrection of all of the people of God for all of eternity. But can I tell you, there's a time period in between where God is reconciling all things back to him and the beautiful part about it is there's an invitation by God there in that moment there's an invitation for you and I and the victory of the resurrection impacts everything can I just be brutally honest with you today God didn't God didn't die on a cross brutally die on a cross take all of your sin and your shame and your guilt Go into a tomb for three days and rise victoriously so that you and I can come to church every few Sundays, sit in a chair and listen to the pastor ramble and go out and live your best life on the earth. He did it so that you could be a part of the body of Christ and we've been given a ministry of reconciliation to the world. That we could leave this place celebrating the resurrection six other days a week at the way that we live and the way that we love and the way that we share and the way that we interact with a dying world that desperately needs Jesus and is still under the representation of Adam and one day will be in a place separated for God for all of eternity and we have the greatest news in the world that Christ died and he didn't stay dead. He rose victoriously. How dare us sit on our hands for 40, 50, 60, 70, or 80, or 90 years waiting for the second resurrection and not be a part of the process of reconciliation. Not be a part of the process of God reconciling the entire world back to himself. Friend, you have the greatest news in all the world. What are we doing with it? The resurrection of Jesus is something that should be proclaimed, celebrated, shouted from the rooftops. Now, I'm not saying go home, knock on your neighbor's door and be like, you got 15 minutes? I'm going to need 30, but you got 15? I'm not saying be the weirdo. I'm just saying, man, what are we doing for the cause of Christ? Christ rose victoriously and he proved he's the first fruits of the rest of the resurrection. And man, my hoping and my longing is that one day I won't walk around and have to use a scooter because everything will be made perfect and right. And I won't struggle with temptation and sin. And I won't struggle with being overwhelmed. And you won't struggle with depression or anxiety. And you won't walk through sickness. And you won't walk through the loss of loved ones. And all things will be made right. In Christ Jesus. And the beautiful thing is we're living in that in between. Between resurrections.
And we get to be a part of the beautiful process. Man, the process of putting all of God's enemies under our feet. Taking ground for the kingdom of God. And being a part of the process of just getting to experience the goodness and newness of life only found in Jesus. Man, I'll invite the band to come and I'll pray. I just want to invite you today, man, if you don't know Jesus, I already expressed it. You're here today, you got tricked in coming, you're here for whatever reason, I don't care. But if you have never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, and what that means is, man, you don't just, you don't just say you believe it. Satan believes that he's still going to be separated from God from all of eternity. But you've never, like, stood up and placed yourself in the wheelbarrow, putting all of your faith and your trust in the fact that he is the only one that can carry you across the great divide. Today is that day for you. Cry out to God in this worship song. Declare that you believe in him. You confess that you're a broken sinner and you can never do it on your own. And today he will rescue you and redeem you. The thief on the cross only said, remember me in paradise. And God said, I will. Today's your day. Pray with me. God, thank you for the beauty of the resurrection and what it means for us and how it impacts all of our life and all of our eternity. God, would you be with us now even as we Sing and declare who you are, that you are not a dead God, you're an alive God. You've, you rose victoriously from the grave, conquering sin, death, and hell. And now because of that, we can have hope. And that hope impacts the way that we live every single day. God, if there's anyone here today, anyone walking online, anyone in overflow that has never placed their faith and trust in you, would you move in their spirit right now, God? to confess their brokenness and their sinfulness, place their faith and trust only in you, and today you'll save them. And spur all of us on in this moment to live like you are victorious. In the name of Jesus, amen.